Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. You and Me Both is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Hillary Clinton, and this is You and Me Both. And today, I'm taking a look at how kids and the people who care for them are doing in this pandemic I think we're going to be facing a lot of important questions coming out of this pandemic. Some of them are about how children have been able to withstand the isolation, the substituted Zoom learning for actually being in a classroom. There's just so much we don't know, and I think we're going to be learning and trying to understand what the impact on kids has been. So later in the show, we'll be hearing from Emily Oster who has applied her skills as an economist and therefore spends her time delving into data to the incredibly complicated issue of parenting. I'll also be sitting down with writer and comedian Mike Birbiglia, who's talked a lot about his fears and ambivalence about even becoming a dad. But first, I'm talking to someone who has really been on the front lines of helping kids in this pandemic, 
Jamel Holmes, a sixth-grade special education teacher in the Bronx. I am really delighted that I get to speak to an actual teacher. A lot of people have understood, maybe for the first time, or at least in a very personal way, how important teachers are. When your schools close down and your kids are at home and you're figuring out ways of keeping them occupied, trying to learn, all of a sudden you go, wow, this is what a teacher does all day, every day. Jamel first came to our attention through an Instagram account that celebrates black educators. And in addition to what he does in the classroom, or these days, the virtual classroom, he works so hard to make sure that all of his students have everything they need at home so they can focus on learning when they sit in front of that screen. In the past year, he has delivered 360 care packages and counting to his students with everything in them from snacks to hand sanitizer. I was really delighted to speak with him. He is such a great example of a dedicated teacher. Hello, Jamel, how are you? I'm doing well. So <laughs> great to meet and see you. It's so great to have you on our podcast. You know, it's been an exhausting year for all of us, but I think teachers in particular have really borne an extra set of burdens. So let's just start by checking in. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing well. So this week is spring break. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have some time just to kind of like pause, reflect, and, and take some time for self-care. Around this time last year, our spring break was kind of taken away from us. And they felt that our students really needed us throughout that time. So it's good that now we can really, <laughs> you know, enjoy some time with, with, with the family and just to kind of do things around the house and, and take care of ourselves, essentially. Yeah, just the ordinary stuff of life. Yes. How are your students doing? How would you characterize what they've been through this past year? So it has been truly difficult for many of our students. But when I think about my students, perseverance is kind of really what defines them. You know, they show up, so a lot of them need an additional push, whether it's, you know, frequent emails and phone calls and things like that. But when they truly know that they have people in their lives that genuinely care for them, they'll kind of go that extra mile. Well, for all of our listeners, tell us about your students and a little bit about yourself too. Where do you teach? Where do your students live and come from? So um, I teach in the South Bronx at East Bronx Academy for the future. And that's a six to 12 middle school, high school. And I love every opportunity that I get to talk about East Bronx Academy because <laughs> I was a student there and I graduated <laughs> and I came back 10 years later to teach. Mm. I'm a sixth grade special education teacher. A lot of the students that I work with have very similar experiences as myself, you know, growing up in a single parent household, living in the Bronx. And I wanted to become a teacher so that way I could be a positive male role model. And I truly believe that it is easier to build strong students than to repair broken men. Oh, that's a great, great description. Thank you. What's the profile of the kind of kids that you're currently teaching? My students are currently living in one of the poorest congressional districts in the country, but they're so motivated and eager to learn. And as far as like the profile and the composition of my classroom, I work in an ICT classroom, which is 
an integrated co-teaching classroom. And what that means is it's the 60% of the classroom is general education and 40% is special education. So on average, it's about 12 students who come in who have learning disabilities. And those disabilities could range from anywhere from speech and language, learning disability. I may have one or two that are labeled as emotional disturbed. And the vast majority come in multiple grade levels behind. Did you go virtually almost from the beginning? And has that been the primary instructional approach that you've used um, since last year? Yes, I have been home the entire year. Every now and then, you know, I'm able to kind of get into the building when I know that a particular amount of students are there because I have been taking my students care packages and doing things beyond the classroom. Mm -hmm. So if I don't have to visit them, and I can, you know, capture 10 students mm -hmm. one day in the same building, it's easier to deliver it there. But as far as teaching, it has been remotely. Well, how have you dealt with uh, the fact that I'm sure some of your students don't have access to the technology that they've needed to be virtual students? Do you have any idea how many of your students didn't have either a computer or internet access when you started? Particularly in my class, we at least had between 12 to 15 students who didn't have devices. And that was a challenge in itself, getting a device. And then once students had devices, Wi-Fi was an issue, mm -hmm. right? And we, you know, had to work through that. And eventually the school system was able to kind of provide hotspots and things like that. Mm -hmm. But even when our students got the devices, it was like the proficiency. So now I need to nav know how to navigate this device and do this work. And I think that there were many other challenges as far as executive functioning skills, right? As a student who is working from home, you know, you have to plan. It's the self-monitoring, the self-control, the working memory, the time management, and also like the organization, right? So first period, I'm in this class. And after that class, I have to go to this class. Also, in addition to that, you know, the active home lives. So some students are on with us and cameras are off or, you know, when they unmute themselves to engage in academic instruction, sometimes it's very noisy. It's just so much happening and not having some sort of structure workspace where they can actually do their work. And then even at a very young age, my students are 10 and 11 years old and students would say things like, you know, Mr. Holmes, I can't be in class next period because my mom is leaving for work and I have to watch a younger sibling. So, you know, throughout the pandemic, we were able to really kind of dive in and see like a deeper view of what our families are really facing. We're taking a quick break. Stay with us. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's. 
because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake I made the night before, and then I go crush a workout in the body app and just follow along day by day. Before most people are even out of bed, I'm done for the day. So here's my offer to you. The next 500 people who go to body.com will get 65% off a full year of access to over 120 programs. 65% because I want you to start now and see how fast the pounds come off and the muscles start popping. And if they don't, Hey, you get your money back. Just go to body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot com. And let's own the morning together and get healthy and fit. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. All inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never ending fun. So, booking an all inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America, and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. I'm so glad that you and and other teachers working with you have, you know, paid attention to all of these gaps in their learning and their access and their time, everything you just described. Is there anything you discovered in teaching online that actually works better for some students? Yeah. As a special education teacher at heart, the first thing is differentiated instruction. Working online, I'm able to really tailor certain lessons and this student needs a read aloud. This student is going to benefit reading this on this grade level. In addition to that, when I think about the way in which we meet with parents, parent teachers conference. Interesting. Have they showed up more online than they did in person? Yes. Because you could schedule it around their need or they were at home more? Yeah. So we were able to use platforms in which we was able to do time slots and it took, you know, some extra time and just reaching out to parents to saying, please sign up. But thinking about 
the opportunity to get parents involved more. And like, you don't have to come into the school building. You don't have to sacrifice leaving work early. You don't have to sacrifice deciding, should you cook dinner or should you go to the evening parent-teachers conference? I also think about multiple means of engagement. So synchronous instruction versus the asynchronous instruction. Okay, explain that for our listeners, what you mean by that. Sure. When we're talking about synchronous instruction is everyone is live and we're working through this and we're doing this work together. Mm -hmm. But then the asynchronous instruction is when students, you know, get their work online and they can do it at their own pace. And I was able to use that time to kind of work with some students who are performing below grade level. You mentioned that you've been providing care packages for students. And I think that you've been including in those care packages snacks and essentials and other kinds of activities. How did you start doing that? And can you walk me through how you connect with your kids? Yeah, so it has been, next month would be a year since I've been doing care packages. Oh, that's so nice. It has been amazing to get out and to be of service to others. You know, this idea came about because when we're in the school building, I usually have all these things. Students come and hang around in my classroom during lunchtime. They come to after school programming and things like that. And, you know, food is an essential. Food, drink, shelter, clothing. Those necessary needs have to be met in order for us to kind of tap into the academics. And everything else becomes secondary. So when we're thinking about the care packages and, you know, I actually have a few um, Oh, I want to see. I'm preparing. (laughs) So this is one. Oh, that's big. Yes. That's like a a big container filled with all kinds of goodies. I see. Well, you tell me what's in it. So um, here are like some hand wipes. We have um, Colgate toothbrush and toothpaste. Um, We have some Dove soap for our students. We have some protective gear, some masks and some hand sanitizing wipes. We have socks, we have washcloths, we have towels and deodorant. So it's tons and tons of things that we, that I've been doing to support our students. And in addition to that, I have been doing what I call the green bag. It's this um, green bag. And Uh the green tote bag. Yes, Uh and, and students were saying things like, I couldn't come to school today because I didn't have clean clothes. I and, I, and I said, yeah. this must be something I can do. So we have... Um, Got clothes washing... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Detergent. Uh, and, detergent. Um, you know, a whole setup of just things to support them. Well, I love that. Is there a teacher, as you look back on your own experience uh, as a kid, maybe at the academy yourself, that you still remember who inspired you to become the teacher you are today? Hands down, my seventh grade teacher, Christopher Emden, and he is currently a professor at Columbia University, and he is truly a mentor and inspired me day in and day out with his work. I'm constantly, you know, following his work on social media, touching base with him, and he's just truly has been that model for me. Well, I bet there are going to be a lot of young men and women in a few years who look back and say that you did the same for them, Jamel. Do you have a specific conversation or experience uh, that you've had this past year that really lets you know that the work you're doing is making a difference? Sure. So I think one very recent particular experience is just last week, I was out delivering care packages. And that same evening, a student contacted me you know, through text message and said to me, Holmes, like, how did you know that I needed socks? And I was like, you know, I didn't know that you needed socks, but it was a part of the care package. And, 
you know, he said, wow, like it's almost as if you were in my home because these are the items that I needed. And I, I said, you know, please reach out to me and let me know what else you need. I receive a surplus of things at home. And this is why I'm doing this to make sure that you all have the items that you need. So I think that kind of stuck with me because you just kind of never know. And our students and at least I know my students, for example, not all of them are going to say like, you know, I need this. But right. if you give them something, they'll find use of it. Yeah. So it's also like this trust. And it's like, Holmes, I know you got me beyond the classroom. You know, this really reminds me of how important acts of kindness are, because that's really what you're doing and you're modeling, uh, Jamel, that you never know what somebody needs and trying to provide help for them without embarrassing them because you're giving them something that they need but didn't even know to ask for. It comes out of your love and your kindness and your understanding of what your students are dealing with on a daily basis. Is there anything you want to add as we are hopefully coming out of this pandemic, but things that you hope that people don't forget going forward? So I think that throughout the pandemic, because many of our students started learning at home, more families started to become more engaged and be a part of their child's education. And oftentimes you see where it's just like, nope, that's the school. You guys are the professionals. You guys do this. But as we think about this pandemic, we really needed it to be all hands on deck. So I just want to just kind of thank all of our parents, all of our teachers for collaborating and our school administrators and everyone for just coming together to do the best and, you know, putting our children first and making sure that they have the supports to kind of navigate through this difficult time. You know, you've made your passion, your purpose, your love of teaching, your conviction about the possibilities ahead for the, your your students and what you can contribute to make them everything they can be to live up to their own God-given potential is so inspiring to me. And I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with me and say hello to your students the next time you uh, are online with them from me. Thank you. I sure will. If you'd like to support teachers like Jamel Holmes in providing students with the resources they need to learn and thrive, visit the Donors Choose website. Jamel posts all of his projects there, and you can pitch in at donorschoose.org slash classroom slash Mr. J. Holmes. That's H-O-L-M-E-S. My next guest is Emily Oster. Emily's an economics professor at Brown University, and she's also the best-selling author of several parenting books, Expecting Better, Crib Sheet, and The Family Firm, which comes out this August. You know, a lot of what we historically have thought about how to raise kids, how to be a good parent, has been anecdotal. We pass it on from friend to friend, generation to generation. But Emily Oster has really dug into the data and evidence about what works. She has been a valuable voice during COVID, helping parents make sense of conflicting and confusing information to make the best decisions for themselves and their kids. But I began my conversation with Emily with a question about her own childhood. 
You know, it's been fascinating to read about and follow your career. And before we dive into parenthood, I'd love to hear more about something you mentioned in an interview with The New Yorker in 2019. Apparently, you were less than two years old when you would talk to yourself a lot. And in fact, your parents had a developmental psychologist record and then publish a book analyzing your monologues. Now, do you have any memory of that? Or in retrospect, can you tell us what you were saying or you were thinking? Yeah, so I remember when the book came out because I was like nine or 10, but I, of course, do not remember the recording. And I have read it or I've tried to read it. Most of what I'm saying is quite boring. Um, And so, you know, I've seen people write about, like, my child's a poet. I'm just, like, listing stuff that happened. I'm just like, today we did this. Tomorrow we're going to do this. We're going to go to child war. We're going to buy diapers. We're going to pick up. Like, that's my whole narrative is just stuff that's going to happen tomorrow and what happened today. You have two children yourself now, right? You have a daughter named Penelope and Finn, a son. Yes. Nine and five. And, you know, your books became really phenomenons, Expecting Better, Crib Sheet, and The Family Firm, which is coming out in August. And you're so good at breaking down the research because there's so much information out there. There's so much stuff flooding into our heads about everything. And, you know, parenting is our biggest and most important lifelong responsibility. And how do you make sense of it all? And how did you get interested in helping other parents to wade through the complexity? Yeah. So for me, this really started with my own pregnancy. And so I got pregnant with Penelope. And, you know, I was an economist. I was a professor. I was doing my professor things. But, you know, like many of us, sort of when you get pregnant, it kind of, it's not that it takes over, like you can't do other things, but it's very, like, particular first pregnancy is very occupying. And there were a lot of questions that I had about what I could do and what I couldn't do and what was the right set of choices to make. And I basically felt like I couldn't get the answers that I wanted or that the books and even my doctors were not always kind of explaining to the extent that I wanted things explained. And I kind of found myself using a lot of what I was doing in my job, where I was looking into research and evaluating research and thinking about the quality of research and using that data to structure my questions. I found I was basically doing that in my pregnancy and, you know, Mm. having these interactions with my husband who claims that he's the villain in the book, which is not how I see it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, having these interactions where I would say, like, I think we should do this. Here's the research. And then he would say, like, oh, well, what about this other, you know, what about this piece of evidence, you know? And so I I kind of started doing this. And then I was explaining to people and sometimes people be like, oh, I would want to know that. And then that sort of ultimately led into the book. And then that's kind of led into this whole other life that I never I'm sure this resonates to some extent with you also, like a sort of version of this life I did not think I would have. (laughs) Well, you know, the so-called rules for pregnancy that people have been told, you know, no caffeine at all ever when you're pregnant and natural births are best and, and breastfeed for this many months and absolutely no alcohol. You really dove into that. I mean, a lot of people didn't have the capacity and the background to be able to do what you did. And what did you find? So, I mean, I think that there are sort of little pieces of what I found. And then there are are big pieces. I think, you know, one kind of overarching theme in a lot of this stuff is many of these things that we're told as sort of 
prohibitions or you must do this or you must not do this. The evidence is more nuanced. So, you know, breastfeeding is a good example where the sort of very long-term breastfeeding is going to make your kids smarter and thinner and better and more like a superhero. You know, that's not really supported in the best data. And, you know, in the books, I spend a lot of time trying to help people understand where correlation and causality are different and how hard it is to learn from data that compare women who do different things because they tend to be different in other ways. And I think, you know, in the end, a lot of the conclusions in pregnancy are like, it's okay to have a little bit of coffee, you know, depending on your risk tolerance, there may be a case for occasionally having a glass of wine also, and sort of going through some of those pieces of data. But I think the big picture message in all of the books is that, you know, these are choices you need to think carefully about for yourself. And that in most cases, there are some small risks and maybe some small benefits and that, you know, parental preferences, maternal preferences are actually going to play a pretty important role in making those choices. And there's a sort of like autonomy aspect of the message. I remember when I was pregnant and then, of course, when Chelsea was born. And so my mother would say things like, I don't know, I was knocked out for your birth and and your your brothers I don't remember anything so you guys turned out okay and then of course when Chelsea had her first uh, child I'm in there saying well I don't know I didn't do that <laughs> this worked out okay for you I didn't breastfeed for a year I breastfed for four months and seems like you're okay so it it is an important way of trying to relieve some of the anxiety to say okay there's a broad range of decisions that are going to be okay if you are, you know, making intentional, well-informed choices. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the sort of modern experience of parenting is this kind of like, I want to do it right. And this is like, I'm going to achieve this in the best way possible. And I, I think that that has led us in some cases to really put a lot of pressure on ourselves, but also on other people like, well, you didn't do it the way I did it. And so your way must be wrong. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, dialing that down and saying like, hey, there's a best way for you and a best way for me, and they may not actually be the same, is a way into a little bit of maybe a little bit less judgment, you know, of other people, but also to some extent for of ourselves. So I have to ask you, have you followed your own advice with your two kids? <laughs> and are they different? Were that Was it different parenting Penelope versus Finn. Yeah. So I think like, I, you know, I wrote the first book when I was pregnant with Penelope and there's a long gap between the first two books. And the sort of second one is really, I sort of tell people I had to have the second kid to write the second <laughs> book about parenting because, yeah. you know, with your yeah. first kid, every, like if I wrote a book based on early parenting of the first kid, it would be like 50,000 pages long and it would contain every neurosis. You know, I, I once like spent a lot of time trying to figure out if she should wear mittens because like my mom told me that if they wear mittens, they won't use their hands. And I was like, what, what is that? You know, and that's the second kid. You're like, I don't know, mittens, who cares? Like, and so I think that my, that with Finn, I just, I had a much better sense of what to expect. Mm -hmm. And so it was much easier to focus in on the sets of decisions that were most important. Right. One area that I certainly resonated with in your academic work is on a policy level, how the United States could get our infant mortality rate down. That's a issue I've worked on for a really long time. And you point out some of the obvious things that should be done, which is, you know, to make sure we do everything we can to prevent preterm births, to make sure people, women have access to health care from the very beginning, which is one of the reasons why I was a huge proponent of uh, the Affordable Care Act and, and the expansion of Medicaid, because it's hard to get 
prenatal yep. care if you can't afford to go to the doctor. And then looking at the traumas that happen in labor, delivery, and postnatal care, and therefore mortality in poor communities. Because it's just outrageous that in our country, African-American women have an infant mortality and a maternal mortality rate that is so much higher, not just than white women in the United States, but in some parts of our country, like Texas, certain parts of Texas, it puts them in kind of third world categories. So I really appreciate the way you took that issue in particular and expanded your focus. Yeah. And I think, you know, there we sort of write about that and think about it more broadly. I think that for me, a, a huge thing that comes out is the need to support women even once they're at home. Mm-hmm. And so that this piece is really missing, particularly in, you know, among women of color and particularly in, in lower income communities in the U.S. that, you know, we kind of maybe we support them well in the hospital, but then they're sort of sent home and the social support kind of crumbles in a way that that it simply does not in many European countries. And I think, you know, w- what we were trying to push a little bit there is is to really make sure that we think about the policy solutions. You know, how can we make sure that people are supported three weeks in, four weeks in, when, you know, right now there's no paid family leave. I know this is something we are likely aligned on, mm-hmm. that having, you know, better, you know, better paid family leave in a national sense is a is really important. It's important for moms, important for babies, important for families. We know what works. We just have refused, willfully refused over <laughs> many years, even with the convincing evidence about how these investments early pay off in terms of health and social consequences that can be avoided or at least blunted. And that brings me to COVID because here we are in the midst of a pandemic. And I think that uh, the effects of both loss of learning and then social isolation and some of the mental health issues that are beginning to be observed and reported, you know, really raise some big red flags. So what do you think are good ways for kids to stay engaged uh, and connected and hopeful about their futures? And do you have any advice about how to make, you know, virtual learning more engaging for kids who find it isolating? The second piece is very hard because I think for a a lot of kids are not even logging on. So it's like sort of put aside making it better, like you got to get them on the computer. Um, so, you know, I do think that there's a space for trying to improve our our ability to kind of find the kids for whom this is really not working and try to scaffold a little bit, whether that's, you know, smaller group meetings in schools, which some districts have done, um, basically try to get some kids out of the house even though that's really hard. What some schools have done, even if they're not open in person, is said, you know, we're going to organize some outdoor socially distanced meetups so kids Mm -hmm. can see other kids. Because I think, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have little kids, you kind of realize, like, at three o'clock, even if you have the best, you know, synchronous, and my kids go to a great school and occasionally there are distance learning days. And, you know, even with the school trying really hard and being on the, you know, having them unsynchronous Zoom all day, they need to go outside and see other people at the end of the day. And I think we could do more to try to help facilitate that. There are ways to do that safely. You know, kids outdoor at a playground in a mask, that's a really low risk environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, schools and districts and parents to some extent could be working to try and make that possible. I love the idea of trying to get school districts and, and maybe partner 
civic organizations, not-for-profits to think about what could be done to get more kids outside and get them active. Finally, I wanted to ask you about rethinking parenthood post-COVID. You know, I think a lot of people are reevaluating so much in their lives right now. And what are the roles that schools should play in communities? And how do we raise happy and healthy, productive kids? Do you have any thoughts about what you'd like to see in terms of changes once we finally come out of this pandemic that would better support parents, educators, and kids? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways this experience of virtual school has really highlighted how important school is and the sort of pieces that school is is important for. And I think that we have, at least in some ways, sort of pushed so much in the direction of school being about test scores and achieving things in testing and how much math do we do and what are we doing earlier and are you reading at the end of kindergarten and in kindergarten and younger kids especially, like a kind of academic push in that space. And I wonder whether there will be a, a little bit of a pullback to say, you know, one of the things we've realized is that like, a lot of the things that are really important about school are the sort of it, like emotional development of exactly. kids and they need to learn how to interact with other people and that that's actually really important uh, for being a productive member of society. So I, I kind of do wonder whether we'll see more of a push in schools almost teaching that stuff, sort of trying to push that as a piece of a curriculum that is kind of on par with, you know, math. I really agree with you because I think a lot of the different styles of learning and teaching have been compressed into a very narrow band about what teaching and academic success should look like. But Emily Oster, I cannot thank you enough for talking with me today. I literally could talk to you all day. This was amazing. Thank you so much, Secretary. For insights on parenting and pandemic safety, you can subscribe to Emily's newsletter. It's called Parent Data. Just go to her website, Emily Oster, that's O-S-T-E-R dot net to subscribe. The first thing you should know about Mike Berbiglia, which will become abundantly clear shortly, is that he is very funny. The second thing to know about Mike is that he is unflinchingly honest. Both of these traits are on full display in his most recent book, The New One, which chronicles his bumpy journey from knowing he should never have kids to becoming a devoted dad. Mike is a comedian, actor, writer, and director known for his hilarious one-man shows on and off Broadway. That's actually how the new one originated on stage. He and his wife, Jen, have one daughter, Una. And when Mike and I spoke, Una was five and three quarters years old. But who's counting? I am so happy to welcome you to this show, Mike. You've spent a lot of time on stage and in your books talking about parenting. Yes. Especially in the new one, which was published last year. I thought it was painfully and disarmingly honest because you talk about not only becoming a father, which was quite a journey for you, but feeling like a father, sort of growing into the role. Yeah. And 
here you are, the father of a five and three quarter year old <laughs> daughter. Yes. Thanks for being specific. The The book is very, by the way, that's my cat, Massey, who really enjoys just being in the mix. I attempted to not include Massey, but Massey is, uh, she, uh, she follows politics. My kind of cat. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, what I'll say about the book, the book is a is called the new one, and it's a it's sort of a triple or quadruple entendre of like the new baby and the new mm. life and the new mm. consciousness and all of these new feelings one might have when one has a child. And when I say one, I'm very specific because what I learned after doing comedy for twenty years. And talking about murder and awful, you know, horrible things in my comedy is that nothing is as controversial as parenting. You got it. Close to the bone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yep. I had no idea. Because mm -hmm. here I am writing this book about my experience of, like, not being sure about bringing a child into this world and, and the earth is sinking into the ocean and and people are terrible often. And then you get some people uh, read the book and they go, well, this is not a guide for parenting. And I go, right. This is a <laughs> this is a humorous <laughs> memoir about my specific experience of going through this. And a majority of the time, you know, I did I did a version of this story on Broadway for 100 performances in 2018 and uh, 19, and I released the book. And a majority of the, the, the response I get is positive in the sense that people feel a catharsis from when you open up and tell them these things that you're uncomfortable even saying yourself or putting mm -hmm. down on the page or saying on stage. A majority of the time you find that people, I would say actually it tips towards more mothers, approach me and say, I didn't connect with my daughter or son until they were a year old and mm -hmm. I didn't know what was what I was going to do. And and, it, and you realize when you, when you open up and tell stories just how common that fear is. Right. You helped... So many people, I think, feel that they weren't alone, that they didn't need to be feeling guilty or even ashamed of their own feelings. But you know, the other thing I wanted to mention, you've written about it, you've talked about it. I mean, you were an anxious child. Yeah. You, you had cancer when you were younger. Mm -hmm. You had, you know, sleep disorders, one yep. of which resulted in your literally walking into a glass wall mm -hmm. in a hotel and, and, and badly injuring yourself. I mean, you had a lot of reason to wonder. <laughs> I mean, yes. you were being very self-reflective, I think, Mike. Yeah. I think the chapter where I reference all of my maladies is called My Body is a Lemon. And uh, <laughs> that's really how I feel. I really feel that way. Sometimes I've got REM sleep behavior disorder. I had cancer. I had type 2 diabetes. I mean, I'm just like a walking pre-existing condition. And I was like, I don't, we don't need more of these. We don't need to more, bring more of these in the world. This is this model. Well, you know. but indeed we do. That's what's so striking about the book is how... It shows we need all kinds of folks. And, and sure. you know, there's a another brutally honest moment in the book. When you get the flu and you are touring and, you, you know, you drag yourself home and literally <laughs> you're just eh, dying on the couch and your wife says you're not helping enough around the house. And then you think, and I, this really caught me when I read it, 
I get why dads leave. Yeah. And, and it wasn't an endorsement of dad's leaving. Obviously, and it's not a, and it's not a laugh line. Uh, it's not a laugh clear. line. Yeah. It was a painful, yeah. you know, revelation, actually. Yeah. Because people are overwhelmed by the pressure of their own lives, especially, you know, right now. And, and you're giving voice to that. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you an interesting, like, anecdote about mounting the show originally off-Broadway and then bringing it to Broadway. So when it was off-Broadway, there was a review that was really positive about the show and really negative about that moment where I think I get why dads leave. And, and it clearly like triggered something in this person where they said, you know, I think they said something in the review to the effect of, I don't get why dads leave. I get why why women get divorced, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's yours. And this is, this, that's your story. This is my story. And it's a thought. And as I make clear in the, in the book and the show, I'm not leaving. I'm in. I'm all in. Uh, but what we did when we moved the show to Broadway is we we really meditated on what is it that is triggering these people to be upset about this line. And so I came up one day with this idea of saying, I have this thought and I can't believe my own thought. Mm-hmm. I get why dads leave. And that way... The audience knows going into the line that I don't approve of my own actions and behavior in that moment. And it was that priming that allowed, I would say, like a majority of the audience to be on board for Mm -hmm. this really dark thought that a lot of people have. And a lot of people have come up and said to me, thanks for saying that. I've had people literally in tears at the stage door saying, this is the first time I understood like why my parent left. And and it's wow. devastating to hear oh, that. Wow. But it's also you go like, well, it's worth what I'm doing, which is confessional comedy. It's worth it for that. We'll be right back. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself 
own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake I made the night before, and then I go crush a workout in the body app and just follow along day by day. Before most people are even out of bed, I'm done for the day. So here's my offer to you. The next 500 people who go to body.com will get 65% off a full year of access to over 120 programs. 65% because I want you to start now and see how fast the pounds come off and the muscles start popping. And if they don't, hey, you get your money back. Just go to body.com. That's B-O-D-I.com. And let's own the morning together and get healthy and fit. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination, so pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation. know my mother was basically abandoned by her parents and honest to goodness mike i think she thought about that every day of her life until she died at 92 so abandonment is about one of the worst things anybody can experience absolutely but that doesn't mean a lot of people don't think about it and actually thinking about it in my view anyway helps you say wait a minute i wouldn't want to leave how could i not live with you know yeah jen and una you know one of the other descriptions you use in the book is that you said you often felt like the family intern. Yes. <laughs> you know? The pudgy, I, I think uh, I think I said that I'm the pudgy, milkless <laughs> vice president of the family. Yeah, yeah. You describe something that a lot of fathers feel where you say, look, everything I can do, Jen can do better. Your wife, yeah. Jen. Yeah. And a lot of fathers feel that way. I mean, yeah. when confronted with this little, tiny, helpless infant, I think most fathers sort of stand there and stare like, okay, you know, when can you be old enough to, you know, ride a bike or throw a ball? Sure, yeah. That's actually been one of the things in in, in COVID that I've been able to do with my daughter, which is we go out and play soccer and we go on nature walks. We went snow tubing a few weeks ago. Oh, what fun. I mean, the joke of the book is that, you know, you hear all these cliches about children it's the most joy you'll ever experience from other parents you know i call them zombies you know because they're just like (laughs) it's the most joy it's the most joy and you're like all right you know let me let me figure this out myself and then and then in the book you know spoiler alert at the end uh, you know i say you know it's the most joy i'm i'm seeing the world 
through baby's eyes, which mm. which is a cliche that people also say that you'll mm-hmm. see the world through baby's eyes. And you do, you know, and at, at a certain point, if, if you're lucky. Uh, right. But it's not <laughs> the key thing that I learned is you don't all do it at the same time. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it is the hardest balancing act. Yes. I mean, trying to get the balance right, your balance your, oh you know, the mom's balance, the balance between the two of you. And then all of a sudden, this little person who was pretty inert for a while starts having opinions, yeah. starts expressing those oh opinions, gosh, yeah. right? You know, what to eat and, and what to wear and what yes. she wants to do. And so now the balance is, is like tripartite. It's the three of you. Well, that was my whole. Yeah, that was part of the thing I grew up with an older brother and two older sisters mm-hmm. and my, my oldest sister is 11 years older than me. And so when I was like, when I was Una's age, my sister Gina was like 16 and like, and my other sister was probably 13. And like, th- I mean, I remember these fights that were <laughs> like, they were raw. I mean, you, it was like world wrestling around our house. So you couldn't even believe. I remember a fight where it's like, where my mom was so mad. I never told this on stage or anything, but like my mom was so mad that, that, that my sisters hadn't cleaned their shared room that she took all of their clothes and threw it. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. Threw it in the sewer across the street. <laughs> Threw it in the sewer, and, and 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 so I was this little assistant to my sisters Gina and Patty, uh-huh. and so they had me running interference and carrying the clothes from the sewer <laughs> back into their room. I was the intern then, also. It was this thing where it was like, oh my gosh, I remember hearing my sisters say to my mom, "I hate you." Mm. And I remember thinking, well, that that's a bad deal. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. a that's a Ponzi scheme. You know, mm-hmm. you put all your time and energy into this person or these people, these kids. And at a certain point, no matter what you do, they're going to say some variation on I hate you. I don't appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a rite of passage. Hopefully it's yes. when you, you, you get through, but it's painful when it happens to you. And now that you've got a few years of actual parenting under your belt, would you say you were worried about the right things uh, <laughs> That's in a becoming great question. a dad? Uh, there's a moment in the book where, where I asked my brother Joe for advice about having a child. And he says, it's relentless. Mm-hmm. And I think that that has proven to be very true. It, it doesn't stop. And so in that sense, parenting is so much more involved than I could have ever imagined. And also it's with your your body and your mind, but it's with your heart too. And so it's, it's always sort of pulling at your heartstrings in this way that I had never experienced before. So in that sense, it's harder. Um, but then conversely, it's more rewarding than you could imagine. You know, I have friends who say like, how would you describe it? Now that you have a child who's five, I say it's like it's like your aperture opening at a certain point. If if you're lucky, I mean, not everybody is the same, but your aperture opening, you go, oh, my goodness, I can see that mm-hmm. and I can see that and I can feel that emotion. So that's been my experience. I only have one piece of advice. The book is all about 
whenever people think like oh, this is a bad guide for parenting i'm like yes absolutely you're right it's a <laughs> terrible guide i'm i'm a, i'm i'm telling you all the ways to do it wrong so that you can do it right um but i think that if there is one lesson from the book uh if you buy into the book is about candor and mm -hmm. about I, I believe that being honest with your children is one of the best things that you can give to them because i think that being honest with people who you care about is our best chance at becoming closer to the people we love. Mm. Oh, wow. That's a wonderful note to end on, Mike. That's so beautiful. You know, when you're on stage again, when we're all vaccinated and you can be in front of a live audience, if you say that, you're going to hear this, oh, come up from <laughs> oh. all the women in the audience, because that is so touching. Oh, This has been a real joy. Thank you, Mike. Mike's latest book is called The New One, and you can hear him on his podcast, Mike Berbiglia's Working It Out. Well, there's so much that I hope happens for our kids, our parents, our caregivers, our educators coming out of this pandemic. I hope that we've learned some lessons about how we can support each other and what works for different kids and what works for us, the adults who are trying to make sense of it all. I'm really glad that there's going to be help coming from the federal government for families and for schools and for childcare centers and for lots of places that families need in this difficult time. I'm hoping businesses get back up and going as fast as possible so parents get their jobs back, they get to know that they're going to be able to provide for their families. And I hope that we also keep supporting each other, not just online, as important as that is, but in person, finding ways to reach out and make sure that everybody is doing as well as we can under the circumstances. I, for one, can't wait for summer when, you know, most of the adults uh, in our country will be vaccinated and we can get outside with our kids and with each other and, you know, try to <laughs> remember what that was like. But until then, you know, take care of yourself and uh, keep getting vaccinated and make sure everybody you know gets vaccinated too. You and Me Both is brought to you by iHeartRadio. We're produced by Julie Subrin, Kathleen Russo, and Lauren Peterson with help from Huma Abedin, Nikki Etour, Oscar Flores, Lindsay Hoffman, Brianna Johnson, Nick Merrill, Rob Russo, and Lona Valmoro. Our engineer is Zach McNeese, and the original music is by Forrest Gray. If you like You and Me Both, spread the word. Post about it on social media, send it to your friends, and make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're the first to know when a new episode drops. You can do that on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free... All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive non-stop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started.